everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, part of the Perry Bear and Tox Network podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as down-to-earth and normal way possible. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, blech. I am, I am feeling blech tonight. Oof. Old, uh, old anxieties and old challenges kind of sometimes have a way of rearing their ugly head when, um, actually not sometimes, always, always have a way of rearing their ugly head when you're, you know, least expecting it. I'm not going to go into details, but, uh, suffice it to say, I was hoping to be in a much better, (laughs) much better mood this evening. Uh, but I'm not, but it's okay. You know, sort of, uh, sort of part of it certainly has been a shitty fucking week for, you know, our country, for those of us that think about, you know, some of the issues that our nation is facing, especially those issues around racial equality, especially those issues around police brutality in the African-American community. For those of you listening to this episode years in the future, which uh, I hope that there is a future for someone to be able to listen to this episode. This is the week that Breonna Taylor's murderers were acquitted. You know, somehow, some way, we are living in a world where, you know, her family can settle for over $12 million, you know, with uh, the city of Louisville, and yet not one police officer is found to be, you know, have committed any crimes that are chargeable in that. How, how is it, how is it, how is it fucking possible that, that she could get, that her family could get $12 million because of the level of guilt that there is there and yet no one could be charged with a crime. Like, how is that, how is that possible? How, how can one thing lead to another in, in that way? It doesn't seem possible that those two things can exist at the same time. And there was, there was one charge, you know, reckless endangerment because of bullets that went through walls and endangered other people. And so, you know, this particular police officer that was charged for the bullets that went through the walls and endangered other people is not charged for the bullets that entered, you know, her body and killed her while she was sleeping in bed. It's, it's, it's fucking insanity. You know, it's complete insanity. And there's no way around it. You know, it's, it's racism. That's the only thing it is. people hear other people say black lives matter and they respond all lives matter. What about police lives? Don't they matter to you? Yeah. I don't want anyone to die, but what's the punishment when a police officer is killed by somebody? It's death, right? That's a capital crime. So the state is incredibly clear there in terms of how, in terms of how much that life matters. And yet, time after time, you know, when a black person or another person of color 
is killed by a police officer, the the punishment is nothing. You know, just nothing. Now, honestly, you know, I look around and, and you, you try to get a feel for, you know, what's going on. And, and I mean, it, it just, our nation feels like a tea kettle, just fucking boiling and boiling and boiling. And there's no escape for the air. And the thing of it is, is that it will escape. It just is, it's going to. But, you know, how is it going to escape? Our president, Donald Trump, is right now saying that he's not guaranteeing a peaceful transfer of power should he lose the election. He's actively saying that the only way that he could lose the election is if it's rigged, is if there's election fraud. That's the only way he can lose the election. Which is patently absurd because ballots and votes are counted state by state. You know, each state manages its own (laughs) election processes. So there's going to be a nationwide state by state conspiracy to make sure that he's voted out of office. It's, it's craziness. It's absolute craziness. So, you know, toss that on top of kind of my personal anxieties and shit. And I am in a bad mood. My dog has decided that when I'm talking to my computer, that's the time to ask for a bone. (laughs) And it's my fault. It's, it's completely my fault. I've just rewarded that behavior completely. She's just been training me for it basically because, you know, I, 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 I record these podcasts basically at my kitchen table on the computer with a pair of earphones and a, uh, wire with a microphone on it. This is high tech shit right here, man. And I have therapy at the same, in the same <laughs> In the same way, you know, sitting here talking to my computer when I have like Zoom meetings with my family or with folks at work or friends or whatever, you know, it's all sitting here in this scenario. And she has figured out that I distract her with bones. And she's gotten so good at training me at it that what she does is she goes and she barks at the door as if there's a person coming. And then she runs over to me and then I give her a couple of bones and then she goes away and eats them for a while and comes back and barks at the door and I've just been rewarding it. So, you know, this is the second time I'm recording this intro. <laughs> and uh, she, she's, I kept the leash on her, which that's how she knows she's in trouble. So she's sitting there looking at me like, what did I do? <laughs> the answer is nothing, dude. It's me. It's my fault. I just have to retrain you for this scenario because this isn't going to work anymore. I can't have you barking when I'm every single time talking at the computer because honestly, we're going to be in this COVID situation until summer 2021. And so (laughs) something needs to change. (laughs) Something needs to change. And it's president. It's the president. That's what needs to change (laughs) for one thing. Oh, God. And I just need to say, I'm not excited to vote for Biden. 
my vote for Biden is not a vote for Biden. My vote for Biden is a vote for not Trump. <laughs> I'm like, it makes me honestly sick to my stomach that I have to vote for Biden. There's another man in his 70s who has been accused of raping a woman. And I kind of avoided doing a deep dive into that story because I was afraid of what I was going to find. But then I just had to. So I didn't. I got to say, I believe her. I totally believe her. It fits all the patterns of what you so often see in those scenarios. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm voting for a, a white man in his mid-70s who's, in my opinion, probably a race, probably a rapist. And yeah, probably a racist too. You know, there are literally millions of black people in prison for minor crimes that they really shouldn't still be in prison for because of a crime bill that he wrote back in the 90s. I mean, this dude wrote that crime bill. He has single-handedly with, you know, a bunch of other folks who were writing there with him at the time you know, just done so much damage to the African-American community. It's, it's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. You know, this is a community that's already just 13% of the population. Every single vote that they can muster counts. Every single one of them. And the second you go to prison for a crime like that, what happens? Even if you get out, you no longer have the right to vote. So it's decimated them. It's taken so many people out of their families, out of their homes, taken from them any ability to make money, to get their lives in a great place. And it's for crimes like selling weed, which is fucking legal now. And so many examples of white kids that are caught selling weed that the judge just says, ah, just a kid made a dumb mistake. You know, he'll learn from his lesson let them off and give them a second, third, fourth, fifth chance in life. And African-American kids weren't given the same because of a bill that Joe Biden wrote. I'm going to vote for this dude. I'm going to go home and throw up, man. It's really, it's really nauseating. So, uh, you know, between that thought every day, getting closer and closer to having a, to vote for a person that I truly don't want to vote for, kind of having it slammed in, you know, everyone's faces again this week, that there is no justice for African-Americans, you know, personal anxiety is kind of coming up uh, last minute today and I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a bad fucking mood. <laughs> Oh, bad mood. Definitely a bad mood. So today's topic is laughing at pain. <laughs> oh, what the fuck am I doing? Is anyone even listening to this shit? <laughs> I swear to fuck. If there's if there is one person who is listening to this episode, this podcast, who doesn't know me at all. <laughs> Go ahead and write me a note, josh at periveritas.com. I'd love to hear from you, just in, just out of curiosity. <laughs> Don't even have to say anything. You just be like, I'm listening, and then just let me know. 
<laughs> uh, I'm talking to myself. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's therapeutic, right? That's why I'm doing this. There's a chance to talk and just <laughs> just talk. <laughs> oh God. Anyway. So yeah, this episode we're we're it's sort of a laughing at pain episode. This is following the suicide awareness week um motif, if you will, that we've been that I've been doing with this podcast. Uh earlier in the month, I recorded a long solo episode talking about my own experiences with suicidal ideations, suicidal thoughts, and uh the band Suicidal Tendencies. <laughs> Did you ever hear about that band, Suicidal Tendencies? It was like a rock ska band, I think, from the 90s. Actually had a, a friend in high school who ended up playing saxophone on that band. But No, 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 sorry. That was Perfect Thyroid. Suicidal Tendencies was, a, um, I think, a heavy... I don't know. I don't know. There was a band called Suicidal Tendencies back in the 90s. But anyway, so, um, so yeah, the, there was that original kind of that, that sort of first episode where it was just a solo episode of me talking about um, the kind of different suicide, my experiences with suicidal thoughts and ideations. And then after that, for listening to that episode, Eric Norvell, who's one of the co-founders of Perry Veritas asked me if we could do sort of a follow-up episode because he had some, he had some follow-up questions. So then the next episode, he and I sat down and talked for a bit, had a follow-up episode. And if you follow the other podcasts that I do, you'll know that uh, I do this second podcast called jokes, which isn't about mental health at all. It's just about jokes. Um, and I do this podcast with Eric and he and I kind of talk about some of our favorite jokes as told by some of our favorite comedians. And that, that dude has been like crazy busy the past month and a half, couple of months. I mean, crazy, crazy busy. And we just haven't had time to record any more episodes. And so I had this idea of in honor of suicide awareness month doing a deep dive into a couple of jokes about suicide by one of my favorite comedians named Maria Bamford. She is, um, yeah, Maria Bamford is something really special. I actually had a chance to see her live. We're going to talk about her during this episode, so I don't want to give too much away, but suffice it to say, she is a comedian that spends a lot of time talking about her experiences with mental health and mental illness, as well as uh, her experiences with suicidal thoughts and ideations. And she tells jokes about it and it's fucking brilliant. You know, I mean, when I, you know, when I've seen her live and when you hear her concerts, you know, she tells her jokes about suicide and every, and everybody laughs, you know, because just the way that she talks about it is so perfect and amazing. Everybody laughs. But I wonder if like everybody who's laughing like themselves have suicidal ideations? And the answer is, obviously, I don't know. You know, I would need to like (laughs) find out everybody who went to her concerts and like do a survey or something like that. And I don't see how that's possible. (laughs) But I know for me as a person who has and does have on occasion suicidal thoughts and ideations, hearing her joke about it is, and laughing at her jokes about it is cathartic for me. You know, I mean, I, I, even in the 15 minutes so far of this uh, intro, I've you know, talked about, you know, just really being in a bad mood and then just laughing about it. Because for me, my sense of humor is a really, really important tool in my toolbox. Maybe even the most important tool in my toolbox. 
you know, that's the thing that I use to manage so much of this bullshit. You know? Uh, and look, I, I come from a funny family. <laughs> I mean, and both sides of my family are fucking hilarious. You know, obviously in the Jewish side of my family, Jews are well known for their senses of humor, man. I mean, there was a time when basically every comedian was a Jewish comedian. I mean, we basically created American comedy <laughs> in the way that African-Americans created fucking American music. You know, we absolutely created American comedy. But, uh, um, yeah, so on my, on my mother's side, you know, the Jewish side, my, my uncle is probably the funniest person I've ever met in my life. And as a kid, I worshipped him and really just wanted to have his sense of humor and so actively cultivated a sense of humor. And my dad's side, the hillbilly side, hillbillies are quite known for their sense of humor as well. Very different sense of humor. It's dry. It's a different sort of sense of humor, but they are, they are known for it. And so I, I've, I've got both sides of my family, you know, quite a humor and lineage <laughs> and, and I cultivated it. You know, I, I really used it. It's something that I really take pride in, in my personality is my ability to laugh and make other people laugh. And what is a joke, right? If not sort of pointing out pain, that's what jokes do. Right. They they point out pain. And they point out pain in a way that kind of illuminates it and therefore helps us to deal with it. So that's what this episode is about. Right. I ask the question, like, is it possible to laugh at pain? Well, the answer is obviously yes, because it happens all the time. I mean, this, to be honest, this is not me, but I do know quite a few people who can't help but like nearly bust a gut laughing when they see someone fall over. Like it's the funniest thing they've ever seen when someone just trips and falls on their face. I, I, to be honest, I'm not one of those people. You know, I, maybe because I'm tall and spent a lot of time falling as a kid. <laughs> you know, and you're like a big, a big, you know, like, you know, like those puppies that they're going to grow into like big dogs, but they had got like, enormous feet when they're puppies because they have to like grow into their feet so that was that was basically me as a kid you know like and then you grow so fast that you just can't keep track of like where your body starts and where it ends i mean the amount of times i've like clunked my head into a thing bumped into a thing just fallen over i used to as a kid i used to like go to bed and go oh gosh like i didn't fall over today <laughs> today was a good day you know i managed not to fall over so you know i I, I tend not to be one of those people that laughs at that sort of thing, but like afterwards, sure. You know, if it turns out the person is fine and then I can like, they fell in a funny way and I can like reenact the way that they fell. <laughs> then I guess, I guess we can laugh about it, but we have to know that they're fine first for me, you know? And believe me, I, I would not want someone to like laugh in my face about like my pain or my emotional pain, but my ability to laugh at myself is sort of what I'm talking about here. You know, my ability to kind of like look at where I'm at and look at my situation and look at how I'm feeling and just laugh at myself is a way that I have always coped with pain and a way that I continue to, you know, 
I mean, obviously it's helpful to a point and to a point only. I mean, some point you have to deal with it, right? You have to dive in in therapy and face it in a way. And there are definitely times when, you know, my therapist will say, okay, let's not sort of laugh now. Let's, let's get into it. You know, and other times when I'll like, you know, use my sense of humor as a coping mechanism and we'll say, okay, this is just what I need to do right now. You know, I can, I can navigate out of the seriousness of how I'm feeling in a moment by, by laughing at it, at the sort of absurdity of the whole thing, you know? And so that's kind of what this episode is about, right? Is it possible to laugh at pain? So this is a crossover episode. You can, uh, I suppose I should have, I should have probably warned you, told you this earlier, but look, if you don't like these intros, you know, you can always fast forward and find the episode, but if you don't like this particular intro, you can actually go to the other podcast jokes and just listen to the conversation between me and Eric, because it's all there with no intro because this is sunshine. You know, I do an intro and then we have the episode. So, uh, so that's what this episode is, is me and Eric talking about a number of things. And the main topic being, you know, Maria Bamford and how she explores the topic of suicide and mental illness in such a brilliant, amazing way and how important and cathartic it is to laugh at the pain that we feel sometimes, at least for me, how important and cathartic that is. So that's what this, uh, that's what this episode is about. Uh, but before we get into that, obviously do like to do a bit of a check in (laughs) 21 minutes, almost 22 minutes already into it. So, um, that's happening as you can tell, (laughs) kind of, Talked a little bit about politics here. I, I think um, this is definitely a time period where, you know, questions and issues around politics and then apropos to this podcast, mental health is something that's really important. The intense, awful feeling that one has understanding that there, there will be no justice for Breonna Taylor is um, obviously awful. And even... Still, you know, we also sit here understanding that she's not the last person who's not going to have justice for the way in which they were treated by this country, right? It's going to just keep happening and happening and happening until somehow we can figure out how to make it stop. And we have to think about the long game here, too, you know. Think about sort of how to maintain the right amount of energy, the right amount of mindset, the right amount of hope to actually be able to to get through this. You know, to actually be able to do the work we have to do to make the difference here. So how do we protect our minds in that process? I mean, for me, honestly, last week I took CNN, the CNN app off my phone. I just fucking, it's too much. You know, I don't need CNN to tell me anymore that Trump is bonkers. He's bonkers. I don't don't need any more stories to know how crazy and racist he is. I know that the people who are already going to vote for him are already going to vote for him. I just, I don't need to know that stuff. I can keep track of the news using, you know, sort of different different means, right? Certainly you hear when shit goes down and then you just look. AP honestly is better than CNN. That shit's just the news. You know, 
what I used to do was, uh, I'll probably get back to this one day, maybe if there's still a country in a few months, but what I used to do was I look at CNN and then I would like look at the headlines on Fox and then just use those two things as like a way to read where the country was at and just sort of marvel at the fact that like both seem to be coming with coming from complete disparate fucking narratives. Like they're operating in two different realities completely, you know, and marvel at how dangerous that is. Well, yeah, these two different realities are about to face off from each other and they don't like each other at all. And I'm really afraid for what's going to happen the next, the next few months, like really afraid for what's going to happen in the next few months. So how do I, knowing that, manage my own personal anxiety to the point where I can still get up and be a dad, get my job done, record these episodes, take care of my dog, dream big, exercise, you know? I sort of put quite a bit of stock in, in love, actually, for me. You know, I think about like loving my daughters and being the dad for them that I want to be and know that I need to be. And also think about, you know, finding love in my life. I've talked about that in every single intro for the past number of weeks. You know, it's just a few more days until less than a week now until I'm taking myself off my dating hiatus. <laughs> As bad of a mood as I'm in right now, I'm still really looking forward to that, you know, just to see what's out there and see what's possible. How nice would it be to like, I don't know, to feel that sense of hope, like to meet someone who thinks of me as a found treasure and I think of them as a found treasure. It's funny, I, I you know... I found that I've, I've learned things through this dating process, this online dating process that I hadn't planned on learning. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't like know I was going to learn certain things about life and people, but it's like only been a few months that I've been like, I just basically started doing the online dating thing as soon as COVID fucking quarantine was started. So like, yeah, like that's a good time to do that. <laughs> I don't know. The timing of that is just bonkers, but like you learn a thing or two about people, you know? And so like one thing I learned, for example, is, I mean, there are comedians that have done the joke before and especially apropos for women dating men or maybe men dating men. But if anyone ever says, you know, like I would never hit a woman or I would never hit my partner, you know, it's like fucking run, <laughs> run. <laughs> that dude's going to be swinging, you know, like that. <laughs> Get out of there. Get out of there. If someone feels the need to say that they would never hit a person, like, you know, without being asked first. Yeah, go, go get get out of there. Because that, that dude's going to be hitting somebody. <laughs> and then, like, you know, but there's, like, other versions of that, too. Like, if anyone, like, like, uh, so, all right. So, like, looking at the apps, you know, occasionally I'll come across a profile that says, I'm looking for a guy who can handle my sarcasm. And I'm like... Nobody knows what sarcasm means. <laughs> when you say that, what you mean is, I'm looking for a guy who can handle my verbal abuse. That's what you mean. Because you don't know what sarcasm means. 
<laughs> Most people think that's like sardonic is not the same as sarcastic. Those are two different fucking things. And what most people think of as them being sarcastic is actually them being sardonic. The word sarcastic means the tearing of flesh. That's what the word actually means. If you look up sarcasm, that's one of the definitions is the tearing of flesh. So when someone is actually sarcastic, what they're doing is they're tearing your flesh with their words. And um, I don't think anybody should be doing that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's not a healthy way to communicate in relationships. So yeah, when someone says like, you know, I'm looking for a man who can handle my sarcasm, what that means is I'm looking for a man who can handle my verbal abuse, my emotional abuse. So no thank you on that one. So whenever I see that line, that's an immediate fucking swipe left. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. Another one is, um, you know, I have a general rule. Like I, I just, I'm not interested in skydiving in my life. And, and I don't really want to date anyone who like is looking for a partner to skydive or fucking like, you know, climb L cap <laughs> or go on these kind of like death defying adventures. Like that shit is not for me. You know, this episode is about suicidal ideations. Do not, do not put someone who has suicidal thoughts in a plane, 10,000, 20,000, whatever feet in the air to like tandem dive with a dude, <laughs> a plane, skydive down. I have enough trouble like managing my thoughts about death. You have any idea how many times in my life driving I've like imagined like getting in a car accident and dying and like being happy about it in that scenario and then having to fucking snap myself out of that mind space. No, we'll be going up in the plane and you'll be super excited. And then you look over at me and find me weeping. So that's not for me. I'm looking for a guy who loves adventure, you know, big trips, India, <laughs> uh, Europe or whatever. It's like, I'm looking for a sugar daddy is what that shit's all about. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not looking for a real connection. I'm looking for a man who can, who can provide for me paid vacations and be at least a somewhat nice companion to come along with me. Yeah. Swipe left on that one too. <laughs> oh God. I'm looking for a real man, quote unquote. I've seen that a few times. It's like, do you even know what you mean by that? Different definitions, different times. You know, you're looking for someone to like dominate you. Because <laughs> I'm not here for that either. You know, looking for someone who's like strong and completely out of touch with their emotions. I'm sorry. That's not the definition of strong for me. You know, so I usually swipe left on that one too. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Oh, God. There's the ones, um, I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy. I come across as nice. And, and I, like, genuinely am trying to, like, connect with people as real people. And so occasionally I'll get the line from someone. It's something like, um, uh, why can't more guys be like you? You know, <laughs> which is like, I usually read as, why aren't the good-looking guys as nice as you are? Well, it's because, like, I don't think I'm good-looking. <laughs> if you want fucking abs, 
just understand that there's usually a chicken head that comes along with that. That's all I'm saying. Which isn't to say I don't have abs. I fucking I swim almost a mile every day. I'm almost up to a mile now. I'll be up to a mile tomorrow. And I fucking swim every day. A lot. I'm in good shape. But like what it would take for me to have like a six pack is not anything I'm really interested in. <laughs> so uh yeah, I just feel like it's like that um, that type of activity is like almost like an insult, like to my intelligence, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm too busy thinking about shit that I find to be interesting to do the amount of leg lifts and sit ups that would need I would need to do every day to to have abs, you know. So I'll just like I'll be fine with my swimmer's body, <laughs> my my body as it is. It's 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 good. It's fine. It it gets the job done more than it gets the job done. You know, don't connect with me if you don't really want to actually connect with a person. I don't need that bullshit now. You've seen like messages like that on the dating apps. It's like, oh, okay, uh, you have expectations. <laughs> and they're definitely coming at this from a perspective of being very, very suspicious. So I'm going to be spending the first like number of interactions trying to like Prove that I'm not who you think I am. And you're going to be waiting for me to give you one little sign that I am who you think I am. And that's a mess in and of itself. So that's usually a swipe left too. <laughs> oh, God. The funny thing is, is that despite how I sound, I'm actually not that cynical. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of cynical about it. But like, I'm not like, I'm not really that cynical about it. I still really believe in quote unquote true love. You know, like the one true love that like, I want in my life. And nowadays, to be honest, that shit is feeling like, you know, an act of dissent. Like, I am like raising my fist up into the air and saying, I still believe in love. What you got, universe? (laughs) Oh, God. Well, that's kind of where it's at for me. So, yeah, actually, you know, it's like I feel like I'm getting better at navigating this. You know, like I know, like, I'm starting to get a good idea in terms of who not to message, you know, and like when I hear a certain thing or, you know, a certain, you know, phrase or quote that like points something out, then I can sort of be like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is what I'm dealing with here. I recognize it. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to spend more time on in this relationship. I'm going to see if there's some, some, something else out there that's there for me. So I guess in a few days, we'll see if I've managed to, to navigate that sort of correctly. I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. <laughs> but uh, my mindset is, you know, there was a couple people that I, you know, one in particular who I'd connected with just as I kind of left the dating app scene before. And I think I'll just maybe start with that person and then see where things go from there. You know, I'll just start there, take it one step at a time and see where things go from there. What's funny is I was thinking that as if I do end up dating someone, I probably won't mention it here. <laughs> So you'll just know, because I won't be talking about it. (laughs) At some point, I might mention it here. But anyway, Uh, so yeah, uh, those are kind of a number of things that are going on there. Politics and mental health, how to keep your head above water, finding ways to laugh at yourself. That's what this episode's all about. You know, me being in a bad mood and yet at the same time, you know, not just in a bad mood, you know, 
because of politics and where our country is at and just feeling a lot of uh, a lot of negative feelings about sort of where things are right now. But, you know, yet at the same time being able to find my way to be hopeful, you know, and so that's something that's uh, pretty badass. Speaking of badass, so during this episode, there's going to be a part later on where I, where I mention in the episode a website called Only the Mighty. Actually, it's called The Mighty, and it's an app now. So if you've never heard of it before, this is something that I really, really recommend getting a hold of. It's one of the, one of the places where conversations about mental health and mental illness are happening. It's probably one of the more important resources for folks to use and utilize in terms of normalizing conversations and figuring out how to kind of navigate them. You know, one of the things that is so difficult about trying to figure out how to destigmatize conversations around mental health is that people just don't know what to say. You know, it's like we don't, in, in a weird way, not being willing to talk about it, you know, or I guess stigmatizing these conversations in a weird way is almost an act of, care, you know, on the part of folks who don't have mental health issues, right? Because it's like, if they don't know what to say, then it probably shouldn't be okay for us to talk about it. Because they might feel like if they say anything whatsoever, they're just going to make it worse. And I totally understand where that's coming from. But to be honest, that's precisely why, you know, you have to have conversations around mental health. That's precisely why I'm doing this podcast, right? Because you can't destigmatize things, right? You can't fucking do that without talking about it. You have to talk about it. And you can't figure out the right way to say shit unless you talk about it, right? I mean, that kind of has to happen that way. So, you know, kind of stumbling through and finding your way to people who can help to guide you and say, you know, I appreciate where you're coming from there, but actually doesn't really help me help me very much if you say it that way. So, you know, it would be helpful is if maybe we say it this way instead. And then now we've learned, right? Now we know kind of the way to respond. In the podcast, I'm going to talk about how, you know, in conversations with my mom, who is not allowed to listen to this, so I can speak with her <laughs> in this way. You know, God bless her. She didn't really know how to respond to some of this stuff. And she has some anxiety things herself, you know, and, and it made her anxious to have a son who is dealing significantly with depression and anxiety. And how do you kind of respond in the right way? And so this is actually the conversation that I'd had with her a couple of years back. And I had found this article on the mighty that helped me to kind of explain to her how to do it. This is an article from two years ago. And what I just did was I just sent her the article. And from the article, she really, you know, gained quite a bit of knowledge in terms of how to talk to me about this stuff. And so what I want to do is just take a moment to read you the article so you can have it here and then encourage you to download the, the app. It's called The Mighty. It has an app. It's also a website. You can follow it there. And, uh, and then, you know, learn some things about some different stuff that people say. So this is an article called Five Things Not to Say to Someone with Depression and Useful Alternatives to Try. And this article is by Emma Marie Smith. Emma Marie Smith. 
And it's a beautiful article. In fact, it got circulated around. And I think a lot of people joined the Mighty because of this article. So here, here it is. If you have depression or know someone who does, you'll know that clinical depression or non-situational depression is not about being sad. That's a misnomer. Depression isn't about anything. It's an illness, like any other, that affects people both mentally and physically. It's not something you can think yourself out of any more than you can walk off a broken leg. Yet, there are often underlying reasons for mental illness. Just like smoking can lead to lung cancer, depression can occur as a result of repressed feelings, stress, isolation, genetic predisposition, and a whole load of other factors. But you can also wake up with it one day for no reason at all. There is absolutely a nature versus nurture debate to be had about depression, but that's another topic for another time. Depression deserves compassion and care like any other illness, but many people don't know what to say to someone who's depressed. As a person very much on the front line of depression, who's been there for many years, here is what not to say, as well as some useful alternatives. One, don't say, it'll be okay. It might not be okay at least not for a while. A person deep in depression often can't see beyond what's right in front of them. Hearing it'll be okay often translates to the depressed person as, I want you to be okay because right now you're a burden. This might not be what you mean, of course, but it's still an empty sentiment. It's kind of like saying, you'll feel better in the morning. It devalues what that person is feeling. Say instead, I'll help you get through this. We'll beat this together. A depressed person needs this kind of fighting spirit, but it's often hard for them to muster. Depression breeds isolation. Therefore, the opposite of depression is connection. A person who's depressed needs to know you're in it with them. You might not get what they're going through, but you can still provide solidarity. If all else fails, imagine how you would respond to a friend diagnosed with cancer. Then do that. One of the nicest things anyone ever did to me on an acute depressive episode was buying me a get well soon card. It recognized what I was feeling as genuine illness. Two, don't say, but you've got so much going for you. It doesn't matter how great someone's life appears to be on the outside. Depression doesn't discriminate. Just look at some of the people who, di who sadly died by suicide. Folks like Robin Williams, Chris Cornell, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, right? The list goes on. These people had fame, fortune, and probably all the resources and, and help money could buy. Money, or lack thereof, can be a factor in someone's mental health, but having it doesn't make you exempt. Say instead, there are lots of people who love you, depressed or not. This is a tricky one because being reminded of the people who love them can make a person feel worse about their depression. Not only do they feel guilty about the way their mental health inevitably impacts others, but they might also hear it like a warning. Don't kill yourself. Think of the people who love you. Side note, not everyone who's depressed is suicidal. Some people with depression have never had a single suicidal thought, but this doesn't make their struggle any less real. Feelings of suicide can often feel like a barometer to measure how depressed someone is, and this isn't always helpful. I remember when I was seriously ill with postpartum depression after my son was born, I didn't get out of bed for three months, and I spent every day sobbing into my nursing pillow in a dark room. After a while, I couldn't be left on my own because of my anxiety, an offshoot of depression for many, was so severe. When I was eventually told my health 
told, when I eventually told my health visitor how I was feeling, she asked if I'd had thoughts of harming myself or my baby. I said no, and nothing more was said or followed up. Three, don't say, let me know if I can help. Sigh. If someone tells you they feel down, depressed, anxious, or suicidal, then that is asking for help. Please acknowledge how much inner strength it takes for them to open up about how they feel and don't wait for them to ask you to do something. Chances are they won't. Depression often makes those living with it feel weak and codependent. They don't want to have, they don't want to, have to ask for help, but that doesn't mean they don't need it. Say instead, I'm here and mean it. If you say, I'm here for you, then stay true to your word. Don't wait for your friend or loved one to call or text. Call or text them to ask them how they're feeling. If they say they are fine, press them on it. Ask them how their day has been. Ask them how they feel. If you, don't, if you know they're having a hard time, send them a book or a bunch of flowers or a song that makes you think of them. If you have the time and live close, drop, by and, drop in and see them. Bring them meals if you know they're having a hard time taking care of themselves. Take them to doctor's appointments. There is so much support you can give both practically and emotionally to a person who's depressed. And those small gestures make all the difference. Don't assume other people have it handled. Yes, the depressed person may have a loving spouse or family rallying around them, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't check in. Compassion is limitless, and someone who's depressed can never receive too much of it. Four, don't say, you just need to try meditation or yoga or drinking more water or exercising. I know this sort of advice comes from a good place, but it sounds diminishing, patronizing, and downright impossible for anyone in the grip of depression. Understanding that while something might work for one person, that doesn't mean it will work for everyone. To put it into perspective, I go to weekly therapy, take antidepressants, exercise most days, eat vegan and meditate or do yoga every night. And I still dip in and out of major depression pretty regularly. If treating depression were as simple as just doing yoga or going for a walk, there wouldn't be so many people struggling. Say instead, want to come to this yoga session or book club or exercise group with me? Of course, there are plenty of habits that help with depression, such as the things mentioned above. If you really think your friend or loved one would benefit from one of these activities, invite them to go with you. They will feel less like you're preaching and more like you're asking them to do something fun. Don't say, it's number five, don't say, it's all in your head. The greatest misnomer about depression is that it's a mental illness. Sure, it might present in the brain, but so do lots of other illnesses. The brain is the body, and mental and physical health are not mutually exclusive. To show you what I mean, here's a list of physical symptoms I experience when I'm depressed. One, fatigue. Two, difficulty concentrating or brain fog. Three, muscle aches. Four, lack of appetite slash increased appetite. Five, insomnia. Six, nausea. Seven, headaches. Eight, lack of motivation. And nine, a general feeling of having slowed right down. Say instead, literally anything. The idea that depression is all in the mind is outdated and shows a complete lack of understanding. Treat depression like you would any other illness in someone you love, and don't leave them to go it alone. That's that article there. You know, I find that one of the thoughts or sentiments that is sort of most helpful for me 
when I've shared depression with people in the past who have become the best supports for me is that they immediately just talk about what a badass I am in their mind. You know, like, holy fuck, you are so strong to be dealing with that and still up and moving and doing what you do in your life. And when they do that, when they say that to me and talk to me like that, it lets me know that they really understand it. I don't feel diminished. I feel increased, right? I feel supported and loved, admired and understood. And those are exactly the messages that run directly against what my depressive voice who I call Frank is up to all the time. Right? That's exactly the message that helps me to kind of manage and get through. So, yeah, the Mighty is an awesome resource, man. You know, that's just one article, but there are many, many articles there. It's not just about depression, it's about everything. Well, that's an app that I recommend for everybody. So, yeah, it's free to download too. So just can do it, you know, just do it. So, yeah, this is a super long intro, but I had a lot to say. So here we are. Uh, This episode, as I said, is about trying to figure out how to laugh at ourselves. It's a conversation between me and Eric. You can find it also over at Jokes. We talk about the incredible comedic stylings of Maria Bamford, as well as other things, and a handful of pretty incredible, a couple of pretty incredible jokes about suicide and mental health. I hope you, uh, as always, hope you enjoy this conversation. But uh, yeah, those um, those online dating apps are like heroin. <laughs> they are. They are. They, they suck you all the way in and you're like just, you know, scrolling. And the craziest part is you'll be sitting there and just like, open up whatever app you're on and just start scrolling and you're not keeping track of time. And then you look up and it's like two and a half hours have gone by. That's, um, that's crazy. Uh, (laughs) because what are you doing those two and a half hours? I mean, it's, I guess it's like any app, like any of the, the apps, any app and anything now is just an addictive process, you know, because that's what it's intended to be. Yeah, but for but for like the dating apps, I mean, you don't reach the end of the world at some point and go like, uh, now I'm into an area that I don't want to be into. The two the two main dating apps that like you know kind of sucked me in the most were one OK Cupid, and that one kind of got me first, and then the other one is a is an app called Hinge which is a terrible name for a dating app, if you ask me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost gross, you know? Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is a little bit, right? But, but OkCupid was the first one. And, and the first way that that app sucked me in was, you know, you make your, and this one, what they do is you, you, make your, you make your profile and then they ask you questions. And they match you with potential partners based off of some algorithm that decides what your percentage matches based off of not just the questions that you answer the same, but like how you rate how important the question is to you. 
you know? And the thing was, was that when I first started going on that app, no one told me that, like, how many questions there were going to be. Like, I just figured there'd be questions, but I didn't know how many questions there were going to be. And so I started scrolling through and answering questions. And at some point, it became like a competition between me and OKCupid. Like, fuck, like, I am going to get to the last question. 575 questions later, I was like, there's no end to this. <laughs> I was like, there's no, there's completely no end to this. And it was like 2.30 in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, it got dark. It got real dark <laughs> pretty quick there with OKCupid. And oh, yeah, and the thing about Hinge is there aren't any questions, but it's all about kind of setting up your profile in a way that you know sort of looks good and so for both you just kind of start scrolling through and they kind of like pace out the people who you'd want to talk to and the people who you wouldn't want to talk to so you're kind of scrolling you're like nope 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 then you're like oh yeah yeah let me talk to this one and then you kind of message that one there's another one you're like yeah but then they put like seven or eight nopes after that you know and uh and, you know, when you want to message, because I'm a recruiter, you know, I, I sort of message like a recruiter. So it can't be canned. It has to be based off of like what I actually see on the profile. So with OkCupid, you know, I'm like scrolling through all the questions answered. You know what I mean? And if it happens to be someone who's like answered a bunch of questions, well, now I'm like, you know, diving into like all these, all these different things. I'm like, oh, we answered this one. No. And this one, yes. And this one similar and all this stuff. And it just plays with your brain. And yeah, seriously, you'd sit there and two and a half hours later, it's like, where, where did my time go? Where did my, you know? Yeah. No, man. No. no. <laughs> you I, can't even imagine it. Huh? I can't because even, I mean, I never was in the, as I've said before, I've never been on the, in the online dating scene. Yeah. And back in the day when I was single, like, I don't know, I would just stay home. I would <laughs> like read, you know, like maybe I'd go out on the weekends, you know, like I, I just can't, I can't fathom the access or the um, obsession, I suppose. It just, um, but One that's the, coming from a guy who hasn't been single for almost 20 years. So. Yeah, no, that'll, that'll happen. You know, you kind of got, you kind of got off the single market there, you know, just as the dating apps were starting to, you know, kind of kick into gear. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's sort of what happened to you. I saw one of the profiles and I really appreciated this. One of the profiles I came across said that dating apps were the clearance rack of people. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> 50% off. Like you have 50% off or like a, an irregular collar. It's like, <laughs> one sleeve is longer than the other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> These are the products that no one wanted to buy. You know, <laughs> the island of misfit toys, island of misfits toys completely. But this is why I've been on break for two months, month and a half, month and three weeks, basically. But you, you're counting down though. Don't you have like a week left or something? I do. Yeah. A little over a week. I, I, I told myself it was uh, back in August at some point, uh, end of August. I was like, I'm oh, no, beginning of August. Cause it's, uh, I said, I'm out. And I'm going to give, I'm going to take two months off and then I'm going to, I'll get back in the game on October 1st. That was the date that I named myself, which isn't, doesn't mean I'm actually going to get back in the game on October 1st. It just means that's the date that I said that I would allow myself to consider getting back in the game then. And it's been great. <laughs> it's been, it's been pretty, pretty fucking awesome. 
you know, like, like no, no pressure, you know, no, no scrolling. I had actually built, uh, you know, some profiles and a handful of other dating apps and I just went and shut those down. And the only two that are left kind of in existence are still OkCupid and, and Hinge. And, uh, you know, on October 1st, if I'm, if I want to get back on it, then I'll, then I'll think about getting back on it, but I've just been off of it. So it's been nice. You know, I, I took this time to like, take care of like some dental issues, <laughs> like mm. they carry some shit around my apartment that I wasn't taking care of, you know, help, help the girls finish their summer and get started with the school year. You know? Yeah. I, since we're going to talk about Maria Bamford and mental illness and suicide in comedy, I would have to say that during suicide prevention month, which is September, yeah. you should probably not go to the dentist because there's, <laughs> there's no experience that is more detestable and upsetting in an unrequited anger kind of way for me than going to the dentist. I don't care how nice the dentist is. Or how mean the dentist is, I'm gonna hate that person with the same, <laughs> the same level of bile and and uh, just fist clenching violence. Oh God, it's been. I mean, what's been really nice is that the people who have been at the dental place that I've been going to actually have been really as good to me as I could ever expect a dentist to be. And a dental hygienist to be. I mean, I told them the first time because I've got some dental anxiety, some dentist anxiety, uh, pretty strong. I don't know if I told you the story, but I have told the story on Sunshine and Brain where when I was like six or seven, I had a bunch of adult teeth coming in and my baby. Oh, teeth yeah, sure. You, had, you basically became a, a gum. Yeah. Yeah. They pulled 14 teeth in two weeks. And this was like, you know, night, circa 1980 something. And uh, back then it was like, here, kid, have some whiskey, <laughs> bite down on this stick. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, dentist reaching into my mouth with a fucking pair of rusty pliers, you know, okay. it, was, uh, it was, it was fairly awful. Uh, but this has been, you know, obviously much better, but I told them in the beginning, I was like, I'm just super anxious. And they've been, you know, really good to me through that, like talking me through it and sort of being kind and all that stuff. So I'm very thankful for that. But I mean, I, I had, I went yesterday for my last kind of, at least for now, deep gum cleaning where they had to put a syringe in my mouth and shoot me up with some, you know, Novocaine or whatever. And, uh, I mean, you know, I definitely like had my first one in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I talked about it in the intro to the last episode where I'm just like lying in the chair. I'm just like, I'm going to go home and fucking kill myself. And it was like, oh, okay. That, that's a, that was a one. Okay. Everybody. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not not exactly not not a rational reaction. No. But, <laughs> but I also had dental work done this week. Um, I mean, there's one a crown on his fucking tooth that has yeah, been bothering me since the beginning of COVID. Like right as the lockdown started, I was like, "Oh, my tooth kind of hurts." And oh. then I waited, you know, six months. I went in there and. uh then, You're like Tom Hanks and Castaway. You're about to take like, of, a pair of skates to your mouth. I thought about it. Um, <laughs> because honestly, like going in and getting the procedure done and spending the money on it, I was like, do I really even, does nobody even cares how I look? Like, so I'm missing a tooth. Whatever. You know, like it's, it was one of those moments because as they were doing the procedure, the, the um, dentist and his hygienist 
hygienist was kind of what I would call a stereotypical hygienist, maybe late fifties, early sixties, uh, crusty, um, you know, uh, didactic kind of mean. And then the dentist is, uh, he is a nice guy, but as they were working on it, like he was like putting his shoulder into my face, like just try. And it it was like, she was trying to like crack my skull. I think it was just the only way he could get a good angle on the tooth. But by the end of it, I was just exhausted. I felt like I'd been in a boxing match, you know, like yeah. I'd gone 10 rounds. Oh God. Yeah. That's, that's that, and so I knew a guy, I think I've told you this. I, I knew a guy uh, who was in the FBI and he's 25 year veteran. And he's like, you know, I've been in gunfights. I've been in fist fights and I've dealt with some of the worst people you could possibly meet. And the only thing that scares me is the dentist. <laughs> yeah that, that 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 rings true that definitely i can relate to that i can definitely relate to that yeah it's uh it sucks it sucks how did this come up by the way why did we start talking about the dentist <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> don't care i don't yeah. know probably my yeah. memory was my memory's all shot from uh from going to the dentist. I don't know. I, I, if I can avoid it, my dad who clearly, I, I don't know. And we've talked about our fathers respectively. Like he yeah. was a hillbilly. Yeah. Like, and he, uh, toward the end of his life, he just decided screw it. And he was unwilling to go to an American dentist. He just okay. felt like it was a racket and it was too expensive. So, he drove to Juarez and essentially got all of his teeth pulled and got, uh, you know, full plates, full plates. Just, just went with the full, um, you know, grills. Yeah. Like the, wi- grills. like the wind up chatter mouth, like <laughs> <laughs> dropping into a big cup of Listerine, you know, Listerine that's exactly, that's exactly what he would do. And it yeah. was uh, disturbing. Oh, yeah. Um, especially, yeah, my, you know. My, yeah. my hillbilly grandfather, my dad's dad, did that. And uh, I have very strong memories of being a kid and, you know, saying, Grandpa, take your teeth out. And you would go smile and just pop them right out, you know. <laughs> and oh, then do that, do that funny thing with your jaw where you close your jaw a little too, little too closed, you know. Where it's like obvious that there aren't teeth there to stop your mouth from closing that much. Yes. Yes. You can like take your lower lip and like lift it over your nose, basically. <laughs> or yeah, I remember when he was in the hospital proceeding toward hospice, he would just sometimes fall asleep, but he wouldn't have, you know, like the right level of denju cream or whatever to keep the teeth in. And yeah. so they'd be loose in his mouth and he'd be asleep. And it created this horrifying skeletal effect because his teeth <laughs> would be like way too far separated. You know, they, they would look like they were in his appropriately in his mouth, but that would have meant that his gums were like four inches long. <laughs> and it, it, it was just, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's weird. I think there's a Mitch Hedberg joke where he says, I don't understand why we need so many teeth. You know, you could have just given me two long curvy teeth and I'd have been, I'd have been happy. 
typical Mitch Hedberg joke, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not need the spaces therein, or however he puts it. You know, that's too big, long thing. Oh man! So what do we got today for jokes? So, uh, well, first of all, I mean, we we have recorded an episode recently of uh, Sunshine, so it's not like you and I haven't recorded in a minute. But uh, at the true, same time, true, it's been like two weeks, week and a half. Week and a half since um since our suicide awareness month addendum, but uh but it's been um since the beginning of August that we've recorded an episode for jokes and this this particular episode is going to be sort of a hybrid to you know go from one to the other but it's nice to be recording an episode of you know sort of jokes with you again man this is fun yeah I mean, you caught me in like probably the most exhausted state I've been in in years but. It's okay. I keep looking up. I, I I like my Google searches. Like for example, I make fun of the Google searches that I've done in the past. For example, I, I at one point I would Google hemorrhoids or colon cancer. <laughs> yeah, and these days it's like, how do I know if I have congestive heart failure? <laughs> Yeah, the last the last thing I googled was uh, when is it safe to swim laps again when I got uh, after you get new tattoos, and uh, what came ah. up with were a bunch of really scary pictures of people with their skin falling off, basically. So I don't oh, recommend wow. googling that. Definitely do not recommend googling. Why? Because that. In, there's like some sort of like uh, subcutaneous infection or something. Yeah, that's what the fear is that there could be an infection. You know, they're saying that tattoos are basically open wounds. Um, which I guess is kind of true. I mean, they kind of, they, they scab over pretty quick and then it's just, they peel and itch for a while. But, um, I think, you know, when you have like a full sleeve done, if you get like a huge tattoo where they're, you know, coloring in with, uh, a lot of ink over a large area of skin and, and then, yeah, that's, that's probably something you have to be really careful of. But when you have like sort of smaller tattoos or just lettering or something like that, it's probably less of a, less of an issue. But, uh, but the fear is infection, you know, that's the fear. So mm. supposed to be careful about that, I guess. But anyway, so, uh, so yeah, this is the episode of jokes. And what I brought today was Maria Bamford, who is one of my absolute favorite comedians in the whole world. And I know you love her too. I've actually seen her live. Have you ever had a chance to see Maria live? I mean, I'm sure I've had a chance, but I didn't take that chance back when there was live comedy. I know because I've lived in four cities mainly in my yeah. life. And I know that in each of those cities, I'm sure she passed through there multiple times and I'd always see it and I'd be like, I need to go to that. And then my brain would shut off and I wouldn't go. Um, but I really like her. Oh, I okay. really like her. I think she's very brilliant and she's the most vulnerable of perhaps any comedian that's out there and that's saying something because comedians sort of make their life by being vulnerable by yeah opening they, they do i mean that, up. that's exactly right 100 percent. the best comedians all the time are the ones who you know figure out how to create really hilarious narratives from sometimes the most painful parts of their lives you know and it's it's very hard to tell sometimes a vulnerable comedian. Like I would argue that Doug Stanhope is a really vulnerable comedian, you know, in terms of like his approach and how willing he is to share his darkness and, 
you know, that one, I agree with that. That one special that. that he did where he, he did a special right after doing another special, right? Where he was just like, I'm going to do an experiment come up and do a special with no material. <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck, you out of your mind? Did you well, see yeah, that? I mean, it's bad. <laughs> it's I don't bad. think I've seen that one, but I, I do know that when you reference somebody with like some sort of fearless or vulnerable narrative is when he talked about his mom and talked yeah. about, you know, essentially his uh role in her assisted suicide yeah um you know that's that's hardcore that's really hardcore that is really really hardcore uh but maria bamford you know what she struggles with is really significant mental illness and specifically she struggles with bipolar and um connected to the bipolar quite a bit of depression and anxiety that kind of goes along with that and she does a lot of material about, you know, her experience being bipolar and um, some of the different kind of things that she's gone through and things like that. And she's got some gr- really amazing narratives and amazing, you know, story jokes about some of those things. Like it's one line where, you know, she's talking to a uh, um, a radio DJ and the, and the DJ is like, oh, you're bipolar. Does that mean... You know, you're you're hearing voices all the time, and what kind of crazy is that? And she's very astutely, you know, no, schizophrenia is where you hear voices. Bipolar is where you make voices. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's such a great line. You know, <laughs> I mean, you just have to love it. You just have to love it. So, you know, I, you know, so we've done already a couple episodes. I, I did that one episode. They're just me talking about my personal experiences with suicide and suicidal ideations. And then we did the follow-up episode, me and you, you know, you asked me some questions and went into sort of like that. And one of the points that I kind of made at the end there was that one of the more kind of vulnerable aspects of sharing my suicidal thoughts and ideations is that it might give one the impression that, you know, I am sort of moribund, you know what I mean? <laughs> that I'm, what do we say that I'm Eeyore and I'm just kind of mm-hmm. like tough to, tough to be around because I'm so dark and depressing. And the truth is, I, you know, at least in my opinion, I, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. Like, and for me, I, you know, I, I use my sense of humor as a weapon, you know, it's a shield, it's a sword. It kind of does all that stuff. And, um, I, I do try to laugh at myself and the pain, I I find it to be really helpful to be able to do that. And Maria Bamford's humor completely speaks to me because of that. And I think you feel the same. Like we talk about how, you know, our, our, you know, sort of beginning of friendship is our love of comedy, sort of mutual love of comedy, mutual love of podcasts. But I think also mutual ability to kind of laugh at ourselves. Right. That's that to me for a long time was what comedy what what my sense of humor at least was based on was looking at looking at a critique of the world and then turning it inward because yep. that's the way to um to frame it for others to give them perspective while not feel like I'm being accusatory of anyone and and recognizing that my shortcomings are as significant as anyone's and I really I kind of enjoy picking on myself because I, I, I'm aware of my insanity and it's uh, it can be kind of fun to, <laughs> to, to go after. Yeah. And so the, the sort of self analytical uh, comedy, you know, it, because 
you can point at the world, you can go full Mark Marin, but even Marin does this, right? He'll just attack target after target after target. And then suddenly he's like, he pulls the big wheel lever and he spins and he's like, oh yeah, but also I'm insane. You know, like right. I, I just, I'm a terrible, insecure, neurotic, you know, that kind of thing. And that's a very useful tool because if you get, if you, otherwise you're not funny if you're just pointing right. out right. all of the short, because it becomes uh, holier than thou. You become uh, a preacher, not a comedian. That's right. Yeah, that's a hundred percent why. And, and and it's a great way to, you know, I think get people to sort of connect with you by sharing that sort of, those sort of human foibles and not necessarily weaknesses, but the, the human side of you that, you know, you're maybe less proud of. I mean, we talk about Bill Burr all the time, but he's a, a really good example of someone who does that where, you know, he's going to, he's going to purposefully, you know, share his opinion and his thought about something that's going to turn everybody off, but then also bring it back by saying, you know what, I'm, I'm just a lunatic. I mean, don't listen to anything I'm saying, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, I'm, I'm out of my mind over here, you know, and, and uh, that's absolutely something that a lot of comedians sort of use as a tool there. Maria is, quantitatively different though don't you think i mean there's something really different about the way that she approaches it and it's similar to emo phillips in that she has a voice well actually she has many voices but she has a voice the difference between her and emo phillips is his voice is made up hers is real you know <laughs> you know what has always puzzled me about her and, and there are comedians who use who are almost they're like uh musical instruments of themselves when they're mm -hmm. up there on stage. I think Brian Regan, mm -hmm. I think Jim Gaffigan, mm -hmm. and you know certainly Maria Bamford. The thing that has always been endearing and puzzling to me with her is when she she has this sort of high pitched mousy voice. I don't know if you'd call it mousy, but it's definitely yeah. it's a little squeaky. Yeah. Um, but then she'll sink into this very serious, almost like, um, dramatic, alluring female <laughs> voice, yeah. very mature voice. And I was, I've always wondered, is that her real voice? And she's, Can you this, just do that all the time. You know, the squeakiness is like an affectation in the same way that like, you know, Gilbert Gottfried, that's not his voice. We all know his regular voice is something different, but he plays yeah. up the Aflac yep. duck. Yep. because it pays his bills that's his shtick yeah. and so well, the thing is I, I what i've gotten from it is that maria bamford her shtick is actually the serious voice her yeah. normal voice really is the is. mousy squeaky voice it really is the mousy squeaky voice and with tremors and all kinds of stuff and she can do that normal voice she does the the kind of what well, you know you picture like a woman in a pantsuit who's just in charge, you know, so she's got kind of that right. voice. And then yeah. she does a great impression of her mother. And she oh, has yeah. a great impression of her father. And that's sort of it. And she bounces back between these different voices. And it's just, it's just kind of incredible, you know? Um, and then obviously there's a number of other voices that just are kind of off ticks of her, you know, of her mousy voice. But uh, yeah, no, it's a hundred percent her. I mean, that's the thing. And she famously has taken years off of comedy because she's needed to take care of herself and, you know, gone to 
different types of institutions. She's definitely had to institutionalize herself a number of times. She'll talk about that in her comedy. It's, it's really very, very stunning. And, you know, apropos to suicide week, she does a lot of stuff on suicide and, you know, I, I love listening to it because I can really relate to the sort of the absurdity of it. I mean, you know, to sort of say like, there I am in the dentist and they've got like a needle in my mouth and, you know, they're, they're shooting me up there with Novocaine or whatever it was. And it's just fucking miserable and I hate it. And of course, in that moment, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to, I got to go home and kill myself, man. This is awful. I mean, you know, it's, I, I think to a lot of people that might not, B or C, like, there's, how do you laugh at that? But to me, it's like, I kind of have to. Does that make sense? Like, it's like funny to me <laughs> in a way. Like, of course, that's what I'm going to think about there, you know, because it's like they're torturing me, you know. So, but uh, but for a lot of people, have I, freaky. Have I used this anecdote in our shows before? When I was the first time I ever remember making a large group of people laugh. I don't even remember the context or the words that were spoken, but it was chemistry class, junior year in high school. Shows yeah. you how late a bloomer I was. <laughs> but the the teacher, we've been going over some topic. The teacher asked a question, and I answered it in a way that was a little glib and not intentionally funny, honestly. Uh -huh. um, I wasn't thinking about being funny, but everyone in the class laughed. And I leaned over to my friend, Scott, and I said, Scott, why is everyone laughing? And they said, because you said what everyone was thinking, yeah. but wasn't going to say. Right. And that's some of Maria Bamford, like right. her exposing those things that we don't want to say and good comedians do that all the time the things that we don't want to say and saying it in an artful and amusing way something that isn't just directed at you know harming the target but dancing around it in a beautiful and amusing way and oh, that's yeah. what she does yeah yeah it's uh it's really something really something great so She's got a lot of stuff on mental illness and suicide. I kind of narrowed it down to a couple of different narratives here. And uh, why don't we just kind of dive into it and then talk about it. it. I've got one here that I think it might make sense to start with. And this is actually from her most recent album, which just came out now in 2020. And the album is called, uh, well, actually, yeah, I'll say what it's called. It's called Weakness is the Brand. And that line will come up in this uh, in this joke, but um, this is track three from "Weakness Is the Brand" 2020, and the track is actually called "Suicide." And uh, this track is a, just a couple of minutes long. Listen to this, and then I'll share with you a couple of tracks where she kind of goes on this longer riff about suicide and depression and depressive thoughts and things, and you'll kind of see how she kind of talks about it. But uh, first things first, this episode, this. Uh, this first track here, Suicide from Weakness is the Brand. You ready? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. And I don't know why I'm being so critical. Uh, I'm not the greatest. I have a bit of a tremor. Uh, that's distracting in a performer. Why don't you take a medication to offset the hundreds of medications you're already on so that I feel more comfortable? <laughs> to which I'd like to say, Weakness is the Brand. <laughs> 
watch this cash cow. Uh, I may be mental, but I'm also a millionaire. Uh, I, uh, I have done very well with mental health shtick, and I was, uh, <laughs> but I've been feeling so good the past several years, um, I don't have any new material about it. And I thought, uh-oh, maybe I should worry about that. Uh, but then I remember that I'm on antipsychotics, and it is no longer possible for me to worry. <laughs> I do have this joke, though. I was at the funeral for a comedian who died of suicide. Wait for it. And uh, awful. Uh, I've had many friends and family sadly die of suicide. And uh, one thing that always bothers me, though, is that when there's obituary they, for someone who's died of it, there's always th the number for the suicide hotline. And I know that's helpful. I know it is. I know it saves lives. It has helped me. I've, I've called it myself. But as a person who's trying to kill themselves... It always feels a little condescending, like, I know what the fucking number is. <laughs> I'm depressed. I'm not a moron. <laughs> Seems like you're having a obituary for someone who died of drowning, and then there's an ad for a raft. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> So after the uh, funeral, I uh, overheard a few people talking. It's just the single most selfish thing he could have done. I know. He has two kids and his wife. She's gorgeous. <laughs> and I thought, hey, you know what? I think the single most selfish thing you could do, I think blaming someone for their own death at their funeral. That is uh, <laughs> truly the single most selfish. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. No, 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 no. <laughs> Writing down the premise for this joke. <laughs> yeah. That is truly the single most selfish thing you do. Two, two kids. And don't forget <laughs> to mention how pretty his wife is. <laughs> Let us never forget how attractive all of us are. <laughs> Especially now. So that's the that's the first one. Hilarious! That is fucking hilarious. She's just, brilliant. You know, just the the absolute attack on the vanity of people to um, absolutely fall back on platitudes and cliches in order to make themselves feel bigger and better in the face of something as terrifying as suicide and death is brilliantly handled right there right there just she took a sword and she just sliced it up she that does. was awesome yeah that was awesome that's what she does and i fucking i relate to that shit so hard i can't even tell you how hard i relate to that shit because i mean do you have any idea how many times people have said to me like just the dumbest things like you know you just got to get up you just got to get moving it's like i know <laughs> What do you think you're talking to? I know. Like, I, I wish I could just get up. It's like not that simple. You know what I mean? Like, if I could just do it, I would do it. Like, that's not like how this works, you know? And, um, you know, if, if you, uh, if you love your, you know, 
you love you love your wife and you love your kids like you you would wouldn't you just be able to get over this it's like i mean come on you know <laughs> it's like completely ridiculous so yeah, then that that misconstrues the problem right if there's something to quote get over it's yeah is, it, it, what it, what does that even mean you know to get over um some debilitating depression or mental illness what does it mean to get over it i mean as i you know going back to our our sunshine and brain addendum episode you know i think there was an implication in there that people will certainly attack and say eh, some of this may not actually be real yep. right like this idea of mental illness <laughs> you, know, you just put a word to it and now you're just adhering to it yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know like it's an excuse she's gonna but, yeah go, go, ahead, go ahead but go ahead. you know okay if she's gonna tackle it i'll let her tackle it i was she, gonna say yeah don't, is don't jump it don't jump it right quick but by the way andre listened to uh that addendum episode and he said uh, you should rename that episode josh tells the world to fuck off <laughs> <laughs> yeah that certainly was a um i would say that was a that was a climactic moment for you. That was, that was, that was like the general motif of uh, what that episode was. You know? Well, it it's an embodiment of whenever anyone says, fuck you or fuck off, or just kind of like throws the toys down and walks away. It's a moment where you're like, <laughs> let me put it to you this way. I, I have a friend who um, was attempting this is kind of boring, but was attempting to, you know, sell um, shares in a company that was about to go public yeah. and was explaining to a guy, it was a good product, go explain to a guy, explain to a guy. And the guy was skeptical and just kept asking questions. Finally, he just slammed, my buddy just slammed his computer shut and said, if you don't get it, you're never going to get it. And just <laughs> walked away. Yep. And it's like, okay, was that a bad business move? Maybe, but, was it earnest? Yeah. yeah. Because at yeah. a certain point, people are just not going to listen to you. And, and you're right. like, if you don't get it, I'm not talking to you anyway. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't have to explain it to anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't have to do these podcasts. Like, we don't have to do whatever. Like, like the, as long as the people who are closest to me understand it, I've got my therapist. She certainly understands it. I understand it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really actually have to explain it to anybody, but the people I feel really bad for are like the family members of those folks who really don't get it, who are yeah. like inflicting onto their loved ones, these types of attitudes and mindsets without having real understanding. And by the way, doing horrible damage through that process, you know, making the person believe, yeah, I should be able to just get up. Why can't I get up? And all that does is feed into the depressive voice, which is a chemical imbalance you know, um, and, uh, and, and is actually a very, very dangerous situation. You know, a very dangerous, dangerous situation. I almost said dangerous. <laughs> it's very dangerous. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, there's actually, there's a, there's a great website that I actually have, have yet to mention on Sunshine that I've, I've turned to before and it's really quite wonderful in terms of, how they talk about mental illness and issues around mental health. And that's a website called only the mighty. Have you come across that website before only the mighty? No, not at all. 
Oh, it's great, man. It's great. And there's this one article on there that I've actually sent to people. I sent it to my mom because she, she wasn't responding to, to me in the right way in, in a way that was, you know, helping me. And, uh, and she was like, well, how do I, like, what's the best way to respond? And so I sent her this article and it was like the six best ways to respond to somebody who's, who's shared with you that they have depression. And it's brilliant. You know, it's, it's really brilliant. And, you know, one of the ways is just to say, you know, when someone shares that with you is to say to them, holy crap, you are a badass. Like, I can't even imagine trying to walk through life with what you've got going on there. If you can't, you know, if you can, then it's like, you're a badass. And I know you're a badass because I go through the same thing. Right. But like that type of kind of mindset of changing sort of how people think about stuff and approach it. But yeah, only the mighty is, is really, really wonderful. And I definitely recommend it to folks. So anyway. Um, but, you know, I think in the small enclaves of individuals who are like minded and share that sort of thing. Now, that's for people who don't, I think, fully understand it and who aren't empathetic to it and who yeah. can't really who don't who don't fully who don't suffer from it to the extent that it's you know really real and palpable on a daily basis yeah. i would say among my friends many of whom are troubled mm-hmm. i know that's going to come as a surprise to everyone <laughs> um i think like if them. somebody if somebody if somebody you know had said that to me i would say stop being a pussy and that would be funny because what what underlies that is a relationship where i'm like where they know i know but please anyone who's not there like don't say that to somebody who's who's mentally ill yeah. or depressed. like yeah. don't not unless they're like your closest friend for 25 years you know yeah. like that's yeah. but, but but there's a, a sort of humor in it where it's like that's an acknowledgement in and of itself where you're like yeah i know it's it's rough man you're all right you're all right. You're going to get out of it. It's it's rough, and th- those are very useful tools. The thing yeah. you as a you as a man of the cloth, um, God, we're never going to stop talking about that, are are we? Until you <laughs> no. go to prison or something. Yeah, uh, it'd be a different yeah. cloth. Yeah. Different cloth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as you you as a man who bleeds from the rectum, <laughs> that as a man of the cloth, um, you know when people you did you did burials right i mean you did sure. funerals a lot of them. and you know that people just don't know what to say at funerals no it's disturbing yes because <laughs> it's inevitably nine times out of ten anything said is the absolute wrong thing mm-hmm. and i feel i feel like there should be a class in high school or somewhere like like some continuing ed course or like a refresher in at work of how to deal with that just on a human level, you know, how is this, how is this appropriate for my job selling widgets? Well, I don't know. People die. You're going to run across them, know how to respond to that. Um, And similarly, I mean, any sort of real sensitive struggle because it's bound to come off um, uh, tone deaf or uh, insensitive if you don't do it the right way. Yeah. Funerals are one of those things that, everybody goes to at some point in their life, 
multiple. If you live long enough, you're going to go to a whole bunch of them. Most of your friends die. Most of your friends, you know, family, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But, but nobody actually remembers what really happens there. And the way that I know that (laughs) is is that Hollywood, Hollywood has no idea how to represent funerals in movies whatsoever. You know, because here's the scene that you always see at a funeral scene in movies, right? So the people are gathered around a casket and they they get there and they're seated and they're looking at each other and saying, first of all, saying hi to each other. They're like acknowledging each other's presence there in that moment. So like what I want to share is that the only way you get gathered around a casket is if you've driven somewhere together and walk down there together. <laughs> Everyone's already said hi. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's all happened. And for a Jewish funeral, in fact, for most funerals, you probably have done a whole service in a sanctuary somewhere first, and then move with the casket to where the burial. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. You yep. know, so so there's not going to be any acknowledging. But then, what the way they end the funeral is the funeral ends, and then everybody looks at each other and nods, and then everybody just walks off in a different direction, <laughs> like spreading out in all different directions to like leave. That's not how that goes at all. Everyone's parked next to each other. <laughs> yeah. Everyone goes to the parking lot. Absolutely. And you have, you have different. Sorry. Press play on that. Go ahead. Yeah. You, yeah. You have different conversations going on with different people. I think of, I mean, I've been to plenty of funerals. The, the ones I remember are my parents very clearly. Mm-hmm. And Oh my God, that just, they fueled so much like hilarious discussion afterwards. I know uh-huh. it's, it's crass to say like there's so much funny stuff that came from the funeral of your parent, but really, oh, yeah. really they would have appreciated it. I mean, oh, yeah. seriously, oh, the, God, yeah. the, the ridiculousness, like for example, um, my father being touted as a champion of education. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, not really. you know know, and and being given a full military funeral like i'm not full but he was given you know the the army taps yeah he was in the army he was in the army for two years yeah he uh hated every minute of it (laughs) he was um rebellious and was constantly assigned to kp um but okay he served he was served because he was drafted Uh, (laughs) but okay I mean, who am I to blow against the wind? I yep. didn't serve. I yep. didn't serve. You, you did. You're you're a Navy guy. Yeah. I'm not. You know, yeah. my my dad got taps too for his time in the Air Force, and he joined up in order not to get drafted, and basically drank beer for a couple of years in Alaska before getting out. <laughs> he, he got taps for that. You know, thank you for your yeah. service. You know, <laughs> I know. It, and and it's just uh, there was so much like. So much, it's almost as if there was this reforming of the whole story at the very end. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a second. How did we get from there to here in like four days? It doesn't make oh. any sense. But man, yeah. anyways, yeah, there's, there's plenty. That's true. No one knows how they work. No one remembers how really weird and absurd they actually are and how people are nuts at funerals. Bonkers. they just don't they're they don't know how to behave they don't know how to act the grief is overwhelming for some and then for some they're just like they just you know i have to say something (laughs) 
<laughs> so <laughs> the one from when I was a kid used to go, you know, whenever someone on the reservation would die, we'd go down to the church and I would inevitably hear, um, you know, he is at peace now. I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, he's dead. Sure? I mean, is that sure? peace? I mean, he is immobile now. <laughs> he is he is neurologically defunct now. One of and, the one of the funniest things about it is uh, um, when when you write a eulogy, which a lot of times people don't write a eulogy; they'll just come up with notes and then stand up and sort of flub through it. And I have heard some great eulogies in my day, for sure. You know, people get up and speak wonderfully about, you know, folks that that does occur. But a lot of times what happens is, is that someone's writing their eulogy, you know, like from a deeply emotional state. And so they might be weeping as they're writing it, but it's not translating emotionally to everybody else in the way it's translating to you as you're writing it. You know, mm. so I like I once actually had someone say to me heading into a funeral Rabbi, you are not going to believe how amazing the eulogy is that I wrote. Like, this might be the greatest eulogy you've ever heard in your entire life. <laughs> that's this a. Is, this that's is your perfect. setup for your one of your tracks on your album. Oof, man. And let me tell you something. It was not. <laughs> it was not. It was uh, most definitely not. So yeah, one of those things, I mean, uh, people get real weird. I remember this, this one woman in DC gave a eulogy where she was standing up and wearing this like shoot, super short, super tight skirt, you know, like, like a, like a full body, like mini skirt kind of like deal. And, um, she was like really uncomfortable giving the eulogy, but what she did to make herself more comfortable was she like, put her foot up like one leg up on top of the lectern, basically. <laughs> so I'm like standing behind, I'm like sitting behind her while she's giving this eulogy. And she's got like this bare leg, like, you know, just put this, lift this foot up and put it nearly on the top of the lectern and just like giving the eulogy like that. And I'm like, oh God, what is, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> what, what was later termed the leave it to beaver eulogy? That actually is not what I called it, but I wish that you would have been in my life then because that is now what it, that eulogy is called from forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> so. that's, that's awesome. All right. That's got to be. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. right. So, so it's got to be a track on your album. Let's get to Maria, though. Let's get to Maria. Okay. So now this next bit, I'm going to take us through a couple of different tracks on her album from 2013 called Ask Me About My New God, which is uh, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, she's got a joke in here called Vegetarian Oscar Schindler. <laughs> oh, my God. Where the punchline is, but where the punchline is, uh, um, you know, first they came from the cheeseburgers, but I said nothing because I was not a cheeseburger. <laughs> How do you work to that line? Oh, oh my God, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Just amazing. So um, I'm going to take us through a couple of tracks here. Each one's not that long, but she's going to talk about mental health, but start talking about suicide there. And uh, there's one track I'm going to kind of skip, and then you'll kind of see where she's going. And this will spark a few-minute conversation, and then we'll draw this episode to a close. So first things first, we'll start with uh, this track. 
Does anyone think you suicide? Oh! <laughs> They'll do it. Not the season for it. Late fall. that's gonna help I think I'm gonna stick around and see how angry people can get at me uh, uh, I, get, I get mad so because like there's still stigma uh, you know about talking about uh, any kind of mental illness like they don't talk about mental illness the way they do other illnesses you know so I was a uh, Apparently, Steve has cancer. It's like, fuck off. We all have cancer, right? Right? I have cancer pretty bad right now, but I get it taken care of. I go to chemotherapy. I get back to work. Yeah, I was dating this chick, and apparently, uh, you know, she she needs contact lenses, you know, all this time. She she wears glasses, and uh, yeah, I was just like, I don't believe in all that Western medicine shit, you know. <laughs> if you want to see, like, other people, it's all about attitude. <laughs> you gotta want it! You gotta want it. You just think you would be able to stop vomiting for me and the kids. <laughs> All right. I'm going to see what my mouth is. I feel like people don't go for help uh, because, they, you know, they, they still, you know, because uh, people would rather not go into the hospital and they'd rather uh, go, uh, you know, uh, jump off a bridge because that's less dramatic. And, uh,. Over 7,000 U.S. veterans die of suicide every year, which is funny because you think they die over there, but they come home, right? <laughs> I thought it must be funny because nobody was taking it that seriously. And, um, uh, so about it. These guys are asking for help, and, uh, no one will, um, I, uh, I myself, I have been in that position, and I have had my friends and family wrap a little blanket burrito around my meats and cheeses. <laughs> they put a little feed bag of microwave popcorn around my neck, because it's going to be a 12-hour wait at the ER. <laughs> and I was taken to Lost at Sea Hospital, because sometimes you're lost at sea. And there, you'll walk for at least 72 hours around a cement courtyard with a schizophrenic man with no teeth and no pants who keeps saying things like, it gets better. I do not believe you, but you're very, you're very sweet. You're very sweet. Oh, yeah, so most people never think of suicide. They only think of it in terms of, oh, the stewardess won't give me the whole can. Oh, 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 turbulence. I want to live. But if you're feeling bad, I was feeling real bad. I kept having a lot of shit ideas, and they were repetitive. You know, I kept thinking, oh, I should kill myself, I should kill myself, I should kill myself. And I thought because they kept coming back to me that it must be a great idea. Then I realized, 
wait a minute, I've had a lot of repetitively shit ideas. I've often thought it'd be a great idea to buy day-old raisin bread in bulk and then freeze it. also thought many times that it'd be a great idea to go on vacation with my family. They are my mortal enemies. I will fight them to the very last. Honey, we're just going camping in Michigan. Get thee behind me! But I'll be with your cousins. You love your cousins. Stop your siren song. I will not be dashed upon the rocks! Anyways, when your brain stops working, you know, you start thinking of things uh, logically, you know. Uh, so if you're ever thinking, uh, oh, but I'm a waste of space, I'm a burden. Remember, that also describes the Grand Canyon. Uh, <laughs> I want you to have friends and family take pictures of you from a safe distance. Revel in your majestic profile. Oh, but I owe people a lot of money and everybody hates me. Hello, Europe. <laughs> killed someone. So have onion rings, firecrackers, who gives a shit? <laughs> oh, but I've done some other unforgivable, unspeakable thing. Google it. There's seven billion of us. <laughs> Somebody has done exactly what you have done and is currently on a book tour. You're never alone! <laughs> It's a homeopathic remedy for depression. If you ever, if you don't have insurance, uh, not sure what to do. Here's what you do: take a blue or a black pen. You draw a rabbit's face atop your own face. Okay. Make some rabbit ears out of paper plates, cotton balls. I don't know what you have. You make some fudge, which is very easy to make from what I have read. <laughs> and you go out on your front porch, you open up your window, and you start yelling at people. <laughs> hey, jackass! Want, want some fudge? <laughs> So guys, sorry. Hi, hi. Oh, how are you? Yeah, it's not doing so good. It gets you out and about in your community. And it shows everyone that you need help. So infinitely healing. If you stay alive for no other reason, please do it for spite. Um, my mother, um, she, 
She has a lot of anxiety. Uh, she is like our nation's airport, always at orange. <laughs> Sweetie, I gotta get to the grocery because we are out of ginger snaps. <laughs> and your father loves ginger snaps, but he would never tell you girls. <laughs> tell you girls, it all comes down on me. <laughs> Anyways, I have anxiety. I get it. Uh, sometimes I, uh, this is what my anxiety feels like. It's like we're at like a wonderful party, just a regular party. Everybody's having a good time. And then all of a sudden somebody shows up in a pretty frighteningly realistic Dracula costume, right? <laughs> And you know it's just fucking Steve Beniquist, right? Everyone says, oh, yeah, it's Steve Beniquist. But he won't stay, he's Steve Beniquist. And then he starts chasing you. That's what I feel like all the time. Okay. She couldn't find me in the house. An object at rest stays at rest. I am in a corner curled with my bristles to the outside. I was asleep somewhere. And um, she called my sister in a panic and said, Sarah, Maria has disappeared. And I'm worried she's killed herself. And I have a hair appointment in town. <laughs> this out just to spite you. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> that was great. That yeah. Was great. She's fucking, I mean, she is so brilliant. You know, she really, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the mental health stuff that I deal with is different from hers, you know, uh, obviously, you know, bi bipolar disorder is is very different from straight depression, but she's she's got that depression thing going, that anxiety thing going. And, you know, what I love about her material and her approach is that she uses absurd, you know, absurdity to figure out a way to kind of make fun of it, you know, just the the absurdness of it. And I, I really relate to that myself. What about you? How do you feel when you hear her talk about it stuff in that way? I think it's, uh, I appreciated the sort of mundanity of her description of anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dracula costume, it's just Steve Beniquist, but he won't say it's Steve Beniquist <laughs> and then he's chasing you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how annoying and how mundane and how debilitating that yeah. must be because you can't. You just can't, it, it, it's, it seems like it's one of those constants and the fact of the matter, she, she hits on a lot of touch points of just feeling bad, repetitive thoughts, repetitive ideas, mm -hmm. uh, the, re her, her statement about the repetitive notion of suicidal thoughts. Like I've had lots of repetitive shit ideas. <laughs> That's funny. I know. Um, so you know, that that's really funny, you know, going to buy day old raisin bread and then freezing it, you know, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. actually do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and that's a I think that 
having the ability to reframe things into the light that she does is um, is helpful for people. I think that you know if she is able, you know, it, we go to comedy for many reasons. You mm-hmm. know, people say "Who's to life?" You know, and I that statement there was just a, a sort of nod to Jonathan Winters, right? That was very Jonathan Winters. It's just to right. where underlying it is. It's not just to laugh. It's to look for something to lighten the weight. Right. Being a human being is really unpleasant because we're told that it shouldn't be unpleasant. We're told that there is happiness out there. Mm, you know, okay, there is, that's great. But, you know, we're just kind of pushing through all these things by ourselves, even with other people around us. It helps to have some sort of communal guidance, somebody who understands it, you know, some voice that maybe helps you through it, some voice that maybe puts things into perspective in a way that isn't didactic, oppressive, or guilt-ridden. Or anything like that. Just something that's like, you know what, man? There are seven billion of us. Google it. Yep. Yep. And uh, that's that's. I mean, that's as good as any therapy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, don't don't be afraid to you know be willing to use what you have in your toolbox to you know manage a thing. It's it's not the worst thing in the world to laugh at your pain. In fact, you know all of the greatest jokes and the greatest humor really stem from pain, right? I mean, that's, that's where it comes from. And it's when you put it in a different light or view it in a different way or are willing to kind of explore it in a, with a, you know, a a different sort of mindset that we can really unlock, you know, the funny there, but also have it be an incredibly therapeutic thing to just hear someone like her talk about this thing that for me personally, I go through a lot, you know, and if I can't laugh at it, then I can't use probably the most important tool in my toolbox, right? Which is my sense of humor. And, and if I'm not allowed to sort of use that, then that really undermines my ability to, to navigate this shit. And yeah, it is dark to laugh at suicide. You know, I mean, of course it's dark to laugh at suicide. But like, think about how she handled that piece about how many soldiers and Marines and, you know, airmen and women are, are killing themselves after being overseas. And, and what she does there where she laughs really hard and then says, you know, um, uh, and I thought it must be funny because nobody was taking it seriously. And, you know, to sort of to take us there and say, oh, yeah, like this is this is really something different in terms of how she's talking about this. And then to be willing to compare a suicidal thought to something like buying raisin bread in bulk and freezing it, you know? <laughs> I think it's extremely courageous and extremely bold to, um, to, because that she could hit the, um, serviceman suicide rate in a way where people are like, that ain't funny. Right. But yep. she's smarter than that. And yep. she would put it in perspective and saying, Oh, I thought it was, because no one was taking it seriously. That's right. That And that's an indictment on your own ignorance, which is what comedians, the best comedians, do oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And her, 
her approach to it is without a doubt hyper evolved, extremely sardonic and just great. And I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I can skip another one whenever we're back to normal, you know, I'm not going to pass an opportunity to go see her. That's yeah. Oh, she's, she's brilliant. And we should maybe go see her together if we get a chance, man, because yeah, she is definitely, definitely something, I mean, something very <laughs> special. So uh, <laughs> I had, I had it muted during your running of it. And I was laughing pretty heavily at the part. One of the parts that really made me laugh was her, uh, describing the image of her walking around the courtyard with a <laughs> fudge. Uh, <on> the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It gets better. Oh yeah, the old guy. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> and then all that piece about standing at your front porch and calling people like, "Hey, pretty lady, what's a fudge?" You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a complete absurdity, you know, and finding the kind of uh, brilliance in in the absurdity there, and really using her style of sense of humor to kind of kind of go at it that way. I mean, that's, that's where it is for me too, you know, is to find the absurdity in it and then just to laugh at just how ridiculous and absurd it is. But um, in any case, so we, we do, I don't want to keep you too long because you know, it's getting late and you gotta, you gotta get home. But um, is, is there anything, can you think of any, any way to improve this joke? I mean, uh, where does this sit like in kind of what you love about humor? Remember, we always ask that question. Yeah, we do ask that question. I mean, I think in terms of the level of material that she is, the the context that she is taking on and bringing into humor isn't done very often. It's just not done in the way it's not done with the with the transparency and vulnerability, as we talked about earlier, that by anybody else i mean where she's just i mean she had a tv show right for a while mm-hmm. um in which it was just her talking about her institutionalization showing the funny side of it that's it, i'm i did not watch it sin on my part did you see yeah. any of it no i mean i don't i don't watch tv so much so i never, I never oh. saw it either what's wrong with you <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wait that's what we're talking about that's right oh, <laughs> so many things so never funny. mind um but so it, it, it's a challenging topic and i'm using all these like you know platitudinous words like it's challenging it's difficult look it's hard for people to deal with because we don't want to deal with our own negative feelings our own mortality uh, the potential that, you know, things aren't all they were cracked up to be when we were young, you know, that, you know, that at some point we're going to see the, we're going to turn around and the best part of our lives are gone. That's really hard to deal with. Yep. And it, it's really, if you want to talk about something that induces anxiety, that's it. And so how do you move on from it? How do you deal with it? You have to be... I think pretty strong. And I think she represents a person who is constantly working, constantly looking for tools and sharing those tools with people to give them some sense of, you know what? We're, we're never really fully alone. You might be alone, but we're not without kin. 
That's right. You know, so, you know, buck up. It, it may not get better. And I'm not going to lie to you and say, you know, it gets better. But, you know, we're all here together and we can help each other through it. No doubt. You know, and in a way it's, you know, sort of uh, piggybacking along with what you said, or as someone I used to know said, used to say, doggy styling along with what you just said just then. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that. Just, just yeah. like you're going to co-opt the leave it to beaver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say, styling. okay, doggy styling on what you just said. Doggy I'd like to say what you just said. You know, I, I think that's why this is sort of a perfect, you know, episode here to go on both sunshine and also jokes, right? Because this is, this is what, what we're doing here. I mean, the, the, the essence of what comedians do is they work to destigmatize really challenging and interesting things that people are sort of thinking about and going through, right? They figure out how to represent, you know, these different um, types of things that a person might not have seen it in a certain way. And when they hit the funny bone, right. And it's, you just can't help but laugh because like, I never considered it that way. I never saw it that way. And the way you're presenting it is, is hilarious. But the mission statement of sunshine and brain is to destigmatize conversations about mental health. And, you know, one of the results of having a destigmatized conversation about mental health is that you can laugh about it. You know, like, like that to me is like the litmus test is when you can get to a point where you're talking to someone about these incredibly painful, incredibly scary things. And I'm comfortable enough with you that I can present something in a way and fucking laugh about it. And you're not going to judge me for laughing about it. Well, then that's why we're friends, man. I mean, that's like what a person like you offers a person like me is that I know that I can like sit and share with you something that might scare the shit out of someone else, but you're going to laugh along with it with me because you understand how funny it is and how ridiculous it is and how painful it is. But why can't it be all those three things at once? You know, and I think that's what she does so brilliantly is she figures out how to present these really painful things and the absurdity of it. And you can't help but laugh because it is really funny. You know, <laughs> it is like it is. And, really and, and part of the part of what makes it funny and part of what makes a lot of things funny is that you can't you you can certainly assign elements of you know, oh, it's painful, it's absurd, it's ridiculous, and all those things make it funny. But then there are those things where you can't assign words to it necessarily. You All you can assign is like, yeah, I know what that is, but I don't know what to call it. It's just, it's there. It's in that space that's created by the work itself, by the art that you just made. And that is what's going to help me through. And that's what's going to make me laugh. Exactly. Yep. You said it perfect. You said it perfect. So... Yeah, that's why uh, I thought we'd bring Maria Bamford and talk about it. So, yeah, we got nothing else to say about to it. Her on the, listen to her on the way home. Do it, man. It's just so fucking funny. Oh, shit. Anyway, <laughs> anything else? Anything else to say on the matter? Fuck off. Yeah, you fuck off too. <laughs> <laughs>